Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ephesians chapter number four, I'm going to read a few verses, a few verses of scripture. I had endeavored to read a whole lot more or cover a whole lot more, but after wading into this, well, let's just read the first six verses. How about that? The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. Tonight, my subject matter for the next few moments will be this. Learn to walk. Learn to walk. Hallelujah. Will you help me pray right now? Thank you, Lord, for your people that have gathered together. Lord, on this midweek service, God, this midweek Bible study, again, we focus our attention on your word. God, we give ourselves to it. I pray, O oh Lord, anoint our minds, anoint our hearts, anoint my lips. God, I pray, O oh Lord, that this word could find a lodging place in our lives. God, we can learn thereby. God, be strengthened thereby. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, you do all things, Lord, well. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, that your perfect work will be done, Lord Jesus, well. God, here tonight, we'll thank you. God, we'll praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated this evening. In the lovely name of the Lord. Learn. Learn to walk. Last, t- last week's title was The Glory, The Glory in the Church. And as a matter of fact, at the closure of chapter number three, uh, we kind of got that from the verse of Scripture 21 where he spoke how unto him be glory in the church. And it's at the closure of that that Paul is just continuing with a, uh, a main line of thought. He's not breaking up his thought. We have our chapters and our verses and all these things, but he's just continuing with a line of thought. And he says, unto him be glory in the church. And then based upon that, therefore... As a result of that, he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. The glory, the glory in the church, or unto God there being glory in the church is because there's people that walk worthy of the vocation in which they were called. If I could put it in maybe plainer terms for us to understand tonight, speaking or considering the Gentiles, whenever you consider someone that was formerly godless, hopeless, Christless, uh, idol-worshiping Gentile that walks now worthy of their calling, that testifies that there is a God. And that in some way gives glory and honor to that God. That he could take someone of that former condition and put them in a new state. They're no longer godless, no longer hopeless, no longer Christless, no longer idol worshiper, but worshiping God, walking according, walking worthy of the calling that they've been called to, 
man being devoted unto the Lord, that brings glory in the church that's given unto God. In the first three chapters uh, over our progress here of several lessons, uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 has shown us a little bit how God sees us in Christ, how God sees us in Christ. But it will be with uh, the next several chapters, the other three, we're going to venture to see how the world should see us, how the world should see us in Christ. And so if Paul ever had an admonition to the Ephesian church, it was the one that he shared there in verse 1. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And we were called all throughout the scripture thus far. Our calling is that for us to be the church. Amen. Answering the call, you know, everybody that general calls made, but those who accept the call are the chosen. They are the ones that become the church, leaning on other lessons that we've looked at, and therefore we must walk worthy of that position of being the church. Amen. And the Apostle Paul, he is using here to the Ephesians some, some positive persuasion for them. Uh, he didn't say walk worthy of the vocation because hellfire and brimstone is awaiting you if you don't. He wasn't using a negative mode of persuasion, uh, telling them, hey, if you don't, here's the consequence. If you don't, here's the punishment. But he was using a positive uh, mode of, of persuasion. He says, therefore, and that therefore referred to all the good things that God had done for the Gentiles, all, all the good things and positive things about being inside of the church. Amen. Everything that he had discussed up to that time. Remember the fringe benefits of being in the church. You remember some of those things because whenever you're in the church, then you have redemption. Remember, this goes way back now, a few lessons. You have forgiveness, you have inheritance, you have trust, you have, you're sealed. That's some of the fringe benefits. And Paul's saying, therefore, as a result of all these fringe benefits of, of being in the church, having authority and power because you're now part of the body of Christ, because of all that, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling that you have been called to because of the good things. Uh, years ago, I mean, this has been many years ago, and I don't know what sermon it was a part of, but I just remember this statement very plainly. Uh, Brother Wayne Huntley shared a tidbit that God had showed him concerning Hebrews 12 and 14, something that a lot of people lean on sometimes when we talk about holiness. He said, follow all men with, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see uh, the Lord. And he spoke of how that verse has always been viewed from the perspective that if you don't practice a life of holiness, then you cannot see the Lord. That's, that's a mainstream of how that's been used. And uh, just kind of a side note, I just want to make a clarification that uh, really holiness is more of a, a product of a relationship than it is an independent practice. All right? Uh, he said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So if he is truly holy in our lives without any restraints, we will be holy due to his holiness. All right? Well, nevertheless, Pastor Huntley, though, shared, he said, the only way that the world or man can see the Lord is by virtue of the church's peaceable manners and their holiness unto the Lord. Follow all men with peace and holiness without which no man's, nobody can see the Lord. Jesus left this world. There's no earthly body of Jesus upon this world today. In order for the world still to see Jesus, they got to see it through the church. And so the church practice herself, walks, walks worthy of the vocation in which they were called. Why? Because then that will bring glory in the church that belongs into God. Amen. Amen. So we walk worthy of that vocation. And Paul, the Bible says, notice he says he was, he was beseeching them. 
beseeching them. Now, whenever we use the word beseech, beseech is kind of a word. It's a word of, of not just imploring, but it's a word of encouragement. Whenever Paul said he was beseeching them, he's not harping on them. He's trying to encourage them, trying to persuade them in an encouraging manner. Have you ever during uh, the, the time getting close to winter, perhaps in the fall, you know, just heard a, a flock of geese pass over wherever you was? And, uh, 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 right? Everybody's looking up and listening to that noise. Uh, 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 uh. I do that quite well. I think I'm a little part goose, really. You know, they're all flying there in that V formation. You know, they're honking. And there you're looking up there. Scientists say, this is not me, but scientists say, you know, that honking, that's maybe some, that might get on some people's nerves, I don't know. But scientists say that those honks come not from the front, but the rear portion of the line. Come from the rear portion of that V, v formation, and basically in goose language, what that's telling those above them is this, stay on the course and maintain your speed. Those are not negative honks. Honk, 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 honk. Those are, those are honks of somebody trying to beseech somebody else just to stay the course, stay in the path. And this is what the Apostle Paul, he's not trying to harp, he's not trying to use some negative mode of punishment, the fear factor, if you will, to get people walking according, worthy of the vocation of, of their call. No, he's trying to encourage them. Hey, just stay with it. Just go on. You went this far. Don't give up. You know, it's just kind of, it's just an encouraging word. How many just enjoy a encouraging word? I do. I believe any of us, an encouraging word that would come down our path, it might make a little smirk or smile come up on your face. You know, almost bashful, halfway embarrassed sometimes just with an encouraging word. Years ago, in a Dear Abby column, and I admit to you, I, I'm getting softer as I get older. Seriously. I think sometimes I could cry over a Hallmark commercial. I'm serious. You ask my wife. But uh, years ago, I, the preface is as I cried over what I'm about ready to tell you today. So if I get up here snot and everything, just give me a little while, right? Don't be so hard on me. Years ago, a Dear Abby column ran a story. Of all things, cry over Dear Abby. It ran about a retired school teacher. Said one day that she had her students take out two sheets of paper and list the names of the other students in the room. She told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down by their names. So she took the papers home that weekend, compiled a list for each student of what the others had said about him or her. And on Monday, she gave the student his or her list. Before long, everyone was smiling. Really? One whispered. I never knew that meant anything to anyone. I didn't know anyone liked me that much. Years later, the teacher went to the funeral of one of her former students who had been killed in Vietnam. Many who had been in the class years before were there also. And after the service, the young man's parents approached the teacher and said he wanted to show her something. He said Mark was carrying this when he was killed. The father pulled out a wallet. Out of his wallet, a list of all the good things Mark classmates had said about him. He said, thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. A group of Mark's classmates overheard the exchange. One smiled sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in the top desk drawer at my home. Another said, I have mine too. It's in my diary. I put it in our wedding album, said a third. 
I bet we all say them set of four. I carry mine with me at all times. At that point, the teacher sat down and cried, and she used that assignment in every class for the rest of her teaching career because that's just the power of an encouraging word. And, you know, I, I would dare to say that I hope that we are, but I say that there's probably there, there's nothing like a mode of punishment or some mode of negative persuasion. Uh, sometimes people just need motivated with an encouraging words. Don't misunderstand. I understand there's times that we got to be molded. That takes a, a, the hammer against the anvil in order to mold us. But sometimes we need motivated. It's not so much molding that we need, but we need motivation. And that's what Paul was trying to do here to the early church. He was trying to give them some motivation, words of encouragement. Now, you stand in a various dangerous position if you can't be motivated by negative or positive persuasion. Now, that's a, that's a scary place to be in. But here is the benefit of being a positive motivator. You know, it was, man, I, I give out all these compliments. Here is the benefit of Proverbs eleven twenty five. The Bible says, the liberal so shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Whenever you help or you encourage somebody else, Within that helping, within that encouraging, you are automatically helping and encouraging yourself. How many times have you helped somebody automatically? It's just, it's just, it's just part of, I guess, our humanity. You helped somebody and you felt good then about helping them. You, you gave an encouraging word and you may have seen the impact that had on their life and that made you encouraged just to see that what you said helped encourage them. So I say, man, let's just be bleeding with encouragement. There's nothing wrong with giving an encouraging word. Even out of the, you know, somebody doesn't have to be going through something in order to give them an encouraging word. Yeah. Just drop a line, let it be a text, an email, whatever it may be. Let's just be encouragers. Is that what Paul was trying to do in order to keep the church on track? And then Paul unveils what the life of a Christian or a church comes down to here in that first verse. He unveils what it all comes down to. It comes down to their walk. That's the basis element. It comes down to the walk. He did not say that ye may run worthy of the vocation or that you may jump or skip or frolic or anything else that you want to throw in right there. He said just that you may walk, that ye walk worthy of the vocation. And at different times in the epistle, he goes back to that idea of just walking because as a church, I know this is getting real deep here tonight, but as a church and a Christian, our lives are not defined by our high moments. They're defined by our consistent, ordinary moments, our times of walking with God. Much of the disciples, much of them who were fishermen, did not find their success or failure in the casting their nets, bringing it back in but they found a lot of their success or failure in those moments when they were not fishing, when they were not out on the boat. It was in those moments when they weren't on the water that Jesus came and he discovered what they were doing and their mending and washing nets. And it was what they were doing, just the ordinary, may even seem the menial or the mundane, but it was that there that would bring the success when there would come success of the casting forth of the net. See, uh, if we don't, 
uh, as people sometimes we we search for the high you know one of the reasons why I believe uh, one of the reasons notice just one of them one of the reasons why Jesus uh, didn't go on and climb to the pinnacle of the temple and jump down as the tempter asked for him to do and then be saved by the angels and one of the reasons he didn't turn stones into bread because he was about ready to start his public ministry and he didn't want to group together a bunch of followers that were just going to think that it's all about the high moments because those happen at intervals along the way. It's not the constant diet of those. Most of the time, it's just the daily walk, just the daily relationship. That's with church life, you know, uh, a lot of times it's just like we are right here. We're sitting down. We're centering ourselves around the word of the Lord. We're hearing preaching or teaching or however it may be. We go home with something tucked back into, you know, our spirits. And then there's other times, you know, you're, you're watching people climb the rafters and they're shouting, you know. But it's not what brings those moments are moments like this. Uh-huh. And so Paul says that you would walk worthy. He knew where the basis all of it was. It was right there in their walk. It's the ordinary moments that give birth to the extraordinary moments. But you got to have them as a basis. And that might be one reason why in the Old Testament that the writer told them not to despise the day of small things. Because only the larger things are just a grouper of the smaller things. So our services that go ecstatic are just a grouping of what we do in every other service that we have. And every other time that we come together. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.2, because Paul, again, he's concentrating on that walk. Remember back then, he said, wherein times past ye walked. How? He walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children. He said you had a past walk. Notice your past and what made you who you were, separated and apart from God, is that you had a different walk then. It wasn't necessarily that it was anything extraordinary at the opposite end of the spectrum but you had a consistent walk maybe in a different path and if that made you who you were then then it's going to take a walk in a different direction undoubtedly to make you who you are now amen it just boils down to the walk and so we don't need to underestimate just walking with God don't need to underestimate just our daily routine sometimes that we have with the Lord. Because, listen, here's how simple a walk is, all right? A walk consists of two simple steps. Boom, boom. That's repeated over and over. A walk, it's, it's, that's just two, I don't have another leg to bring in a third, you know. It's just two steps that are repeated over and over. One man, I think, had it well. He pointed to these two steps in this chapter of Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And the Bible says that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24. Here comes step two. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So step number one in the Ephesians 4, you put off the old man. That's a step. You put on the new man. That's a step. You know what dictates your walk? Taking those same two steps over and over. Take off the old man, put on the new man. Take off the old man, put on the new man. Take off the old man, put on... What are you doing? I'm walking with God. Take off the old man, put on... 
The only thing it takes to somehow switch that around, get your head in the other direction, is whenever you take off the new man and put back on the old man. So you're just taking two steps and you just continue to repeat them. Continue taking off the old and put on the new. And that's walking with God. Just. There's not a gimmick in that. There's not some, you know, what is your success in your walk with God? You know, some people are, you know, how many hours is it that you pray? How many, you know, what is it? It's just taking off the old. And putting on the new and continuing to do that. You know, sometimes I think we're looking for a silver bullet or you know, some magic key. Or a little wand with pixie dust or something. It's just about just being consistent with those two steps. So Paul says, he says, walk worthy of the vocation. Worthy. That word worthy there literally means, and I didn't, Bishop probably had one. I think he does. You have old balance or old scale. He did have. Worthy literally means, in the Greek, bringing up the other beam of the scales. You don't have to go get it, Bishop. I don't have my weights, and I don't have every, you know, I don't have my standards out here. Bringing up the other beam of the scales. In other words, on one side of the scales, you have your calling. Uh-huh. And to walk worthy of the calling. I have the calling over here. Then my walk has to bring up the beam of the scale. Uh-huh. You know, you have just one thing on the scale and it's weighed down. And if you're trying to get it even, you're putting something equivalent to what's on this side of the scale over here. So that it brings the beam of that scale up to where there's balance. Paul says you got to walk worthy. He says you got a calling over here and you need to walk equivalent to your calling. I've called you to be the church. I've called you to be the glorious church. He says you got to have a walk over here that can bring up that end of the scale. Amen. <laughs> it's, it's finding that, that balance. Uh, if I can go a little further, we've all been called into the church, so we all should walk in a measure that's equivalent to the calling of being in the church, but if I can go just a step further tonight, some of us within the arena of the church even has more callings. Uh-huh. Amen. Pastor and teacher and youth leader and, and Sunday school teacher usher the different roles within the assembly and you got to walk worthy of the vocation of not just the calling to the church but your calling in the church yeah leadership's going to make that scale tip a little bit more and so you're going to have to have a calling that can eat or, or a walk that can even that out I think it was in the Old Testament you read uh, concerning the sacrifices, sin sacrifices. And whenever the priest went to do his sacrifice, it was a more profitable animal like a ram rather than the general people just had to bring a lamb. Why? Because of his calling. Because of the calling dictated he needed a bigger sacrifice because of his vocation, his walk, and his call. 
other person could just bring a lamb, but he had to bring a ram. Why? Because of his calling. And so we got to walk according, amen, to the calling, worthy of the calling, the vocation of the calling that God placed upon our life. And that may vary within the church. We're all called to be Christians, but whenever you're called to leadership in different roles, you need to walk according to the call. Walk according to the place where God's placed you and put you. Amen. You gotta, it's gotta balance that thing, gotta balance that thing out. Bible speaking in Hebrews 11 that there's a group of people, those who are the faithful, of whom the world was not worthy of. <laughs> the world wasn't worthy of them, meaning they had a group of people that was tilting the scale, and the world couldn't equalize that out. They weren't, they weren't worthy of the world because they weren't trying to be. They were in step with the church. They were in step with their calling. Amen. Can someone say amen? So walk worthy of the vocation uh, wherewith ye are called. If I could say it in other words, consider this. Again, the church has been predestined to be conformed in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you've been even adopted into the family of a king, you should live as a king's kid. Amen. <laughs> I've been adopted into the family of the king, so I should live as a king's kid. The Bible says in Philippians 1, verse number 27 of this evening, it says, and let, and I'm just going to take the first phrase uh, of this verse to the colon, that is, and let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your conversation or your conduct, let your walk be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your let what you practice, um, break it down a little bit further. Let what you practice be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let what you practice be what you, what's the old saying? Preach. Here's the doctrine. Here's the past one through three verses we've had in, in the book of Ephesians. He's been telling us about doctrine. But now he's trying to tell the church, you've got to balance that scale. You now need to practice what you've been told. You, you, you got to practice the doctrine that you have learned. And that's how you get wor walking worthy uh, of the vocation wherewith you have been called. And so that's it. We, we have doctrine. Doctrine's great. But that alone ain't going to profit you anything unless there's some type of application about what you have learned. Amen. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul, who was Saul at one time, Whenever he's in the book Acts 9 and he's going to Damascus and he's struck down off his horse and the Lord speaks to him, uh, Saul addresses the Lord then on the way to Damascus and the first question that he asked him, he asked him two questions, but the first question he asked him, he said, who are you, Lord? Okay, so he's, need, he's needing some knowledge here. He's needing some information. And it was only after that then, the second question that Saul came to the Lord with, and what would you have me to do? Amen. Paul wanted to know the Lord. Amen. That comes about through our doctrine. That comes about through the last three chapters of Ephesians. But then and only then can you start asking, what can I do? Practice. Application. So we'd be indoctrinated all day, and I'm glad for that, but we need to learn how to then go on and practice that. And Paul goes on to tell us how we are to walk. He says you walk with lowliness. Amen lowliness you walk with lowliness and you can walk with lowliness 
for the Gentiles in particular whenever you remember what you were. Without God, without hope, with, remember? All the withouts. You can walk with lowliness whenever you remember what you were. And he says you can also now walk with meekness. Now, we can go all the way back to the Beatitudes to remember meekness. If anybody remembers that, it's just a simple three-word definition, power under control. You got power, you got the ability to do something, but you willingly submit to be under the control of another. Amen. The meek person is the person who's, even we might state it like this, learn to accept control. He says, you got to walk with that with the Lord. That's the way your walk has to be. And when we talk about lowliness and we talk about meekness, a lot of that concerns our relationship with God. But then he goes on. Another thing that you got to walk with or how you walk, you got to walk with long suffering. Amen. Suffer long. <laughs> it's the spirit that refuses to retaliate. <sighs> I don't really like that one. Some people might call it the staying power because a lot of times long-suffering doesn't necessarily always have to do with circumstance. A lot of times, a lot of times for the most part in Scripture, whenever it talks of long-suffering, it's dealing with people. <gasps> Refuse to retaliate. <laughs> you didn't say anything, but you said everything in your mind. <laughs> Same power. And the way in which we have long suffering, he goes on with some examples. Forbearing one another in love. Everybody say forbearing. forbearing. Everybody say tolerate. tolerate. Oh, brother. Tolerate one another. And you better know it better be founded in the origin that it states in love. That's one way that we can have long-suffering is forbearing or tolerating one another. He says another way that we can have long-suffering is we endeavor to keep the unity. Now, we've looked at this a dozen times over, I know, the years. But unity, it is the unity of, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity belongs to the Spirit. It's the unity of the Spirit. The unity belongs to the Spirit, but it's kept or it's guarded, or it's maintained by the saints, by the church. We can't produce unity. We can only maintain unity. The unity belongs to the Spirit. However, Paul did not come trotting out like a horse out of the gate talking about unity in this epistle to the Ephesians until firstly he had made known some firm doctrines. Uh huh. Because doctrine always precedes unity. This, it doesn't matter what you believe or what I believe, let's just come together, isn't biblical. Doctrine precedes unity. Mm, someone say yes. A.W. Tozer in one of his writings The Pursuit of God said it like this and I loved it so well I wish to share it he says has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other he says they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other but to one another to one but to another standard to which each one must individually bow He's not tuning the, com the, the, the computers. <laughs> the, the, well, 
modern day pianos, that's what they got. You're not tuning the piano to other pianos, but you're tuning them to a same standard, the same fork. But when they get tuned to that tuning fork, they are in essence tuned to each other. Unity then of them doesn't come about by me and you trying to get together and get it all get it all square. It's about me and you getting in sync with the master. And when we get in sync with the master, we automatically come in sync with each other. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse number 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. <laughs> They were all in one accord. Now that did not happen just by them coming together. But they all tuned into the same spirit. They tuned into the same location. And whenever they got individually united with heaven, they united with each other. Do you got that Acts 2 1? Put it back up there. There's something, this has been a long time ago, but now it's appropriate to bring it out that just grabbed my attention when I was reading this one day. It said, and when the day of Pentecost was Fully, everybody say fully. Fully come. Pentecost will not fully come until everybody gets in one accord. But everybody can't get in one accord until they get in tune with the master thereby being. It won't fully come. It won't happen. When, it, when Pentecost fully come, they were, in one, they were in tune with the Spirit. And that Spirit made them in unity with their brother and their sister in Christ. Amen. Furthermore, man, the unity spot is a great spot. The Bible says in Psalms 133, I'll read the whole chapter. Behold now how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there, there where? Where there's the unity. We can go all the way back to verse 1. The Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. The blessings of the Lord are commanded to be at the place where there's unity. But unity is over only there because that happens from the Spirit, but it's maintained by us. God brings the unity. How do we maintain it? By staying in tune with Him. With Him. I, I, because I believe undoubtedly sometimes that we've approached a situation and I just don't know how I can just how I can just meld and somehow you know me and that person there's some people you know just personality wise it's like man there's a big conflict I don't know how we can just <laughs> it's not about you trying you go to the master the master will take care of mm -hmm. yeah the master will take care of that when the final one of the final prayers of Jesus, just walk with me here. One of the final prayers for Jesus, that Jesus prays rather, is for unity in John 17. That they may be one. It's one of the final prayers of Jesus, he's praying for unity. That they may be one. Follow me very closely here. But before the oneness is prayed for, listen to me. He prayed for sanctification through truth. He said in John 17, 17, he said, before he ever prayed that they'd be one, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
before he prayed for their unity, he prayed that them, they, would be sanctified through the truth and the word was truth. In other words, listen to me very clearly because this will save us a lot of heartache. Anybody that has any second ideas along the road, listen, to endeavor to bring non-truth people or non-biblical concepts together in unity in a church is a contradiction of the word of God. He says, I'm not praying for their unity until I pray that first they all get submerged in the same truth. Or should I just say same truth? It's not like saying like there's other truths out there. The truth. Can I step on? I know I'm going out on a limb today. This idea of non-denominational churches is non-biblical. Because they're trying to unify something that has no established truth. It's non-biblical. He says, I'll pray for their unity once they're sanctified by the truth. And your word, he told us what the truth was. Word truth. Not some good story from the life of some man or theory or his idea. My word, truth. So you take your church, you build it on that truth. You know what's happening? You know what's happening, folks? Because whenever you build then that church on that truth, what's happening? Ding! Tuning fork. Ding! I bring it to Bishop's life, and he starts in harmony with that. Ding! I bring it to Mason's life, he starts in harmony with that. What happens then as a result? Unity. But if you bring someone together, non-denominational, I believe you can be baptized in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ding! I believe you got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Ding! No unity. I don't care how hard you try. It will not, it, it might be a facade, but it will never be unity. It's non-biblical. So there are, look what, look what Paul does. There's some basic tenets, some qualifiers, if you will, for this unity. He lists them. He prefaces each of these with the word one. Huh. One body. Here's the qualifiers. One spirit. One hope of your calling. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father. Because see, they got the, they got the mm, going, saying one body. Oh yeah, that's us. Praise God. Whew. One spirit. Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. We got that one spirit. One hope you come. Oh heaven someday. Hallelujah. We're all going in heaven. We're all one in heaven. It's the one hope of our calling. One Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, things really start to get revealed about this unit thing when you start getting around one faith and one baptism. Qualifiers for the unity. Yeah, there's one body. There's one spirit by which you get into that body, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. He said, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, that goes real well here with Ephesians, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now, now we're one body and we went through this. 
man, I, I'm good about being redundant. I can do it. We need to do it. Rehearse it in the ears, Moses. Rehearse it in the ears. And so although a body is composed of very different members and all those members seem to have various different functions, they work together and not against one another. All right? And so if Christ is the head of this one body that is called the church, then all the members of that one body are receiving the same dictates from the head. For instance, if my wife could come out here, she's, standing, she's here tonight, so if she can come out here. Yes, you dare. I only have one wife. Kind of falls in that unity thing. No. Stand right there, hon. Stand, just stand right there. Now, this is going to be ignorant, okay? But it's going to prove a point. Christ is the head. We're the body. All right? If we're in the one body. Now, if we're not, this is kind of like what it would be if it wasn't the case, that the body worked against itself. My brain tells me <sighs> to hug my wife. <laughs> now, what's going on here? My arms are out straight, but my feet. What's going on? Because if you're part of the one same body, there isn't going to be a contradiction from the dictate from the head. The arms reach out and the feet fall in the same direction because they're receiving the dictate. So what's happening? All right. You got the point. That's what happens with a dysfunctional body, I'm telling you. I guess I was supposed to show how it was really supposed to work then, right? Future note if I ever do that. No. <laughs> one body, yeah, yeah, one spirit. One hope of the calling, yeah, that, that's that looking forward, that toward, that hope, which is called heaven. Uh, the hope of the church is heaven. You know, everybody's going to heaven. That's the mentality. That's the mentality. So we can't, we can't really start trying to dig out and draw straws there because everybody's going. We're all going. Everybody's getting that final reward. Hallelujah, amen, glory. <clears throat> one Lord, one Lord, one, one, one master, one master, one Lord, all right? But then we get to this element of, of, of one faith, qualifier of unity, one faith. I may mention before, faith throughout Scripture, it is mostly spoken of in the, or almost exclusively actually spoken of in the singular sense. It speaks of the faith, not a faith. It doesn't speak of faiths plural speaks of singular one faith and in our context in which the apostle paul's writing whenever he's speaking of one faith the faith he is speaking of because faith can be a belief but paul is speaking of in the context of scripture that he is writing here it refers to the essence of one's doctrine one one faith uh-huh See, water's starting to get really parted then concerning our unity, unity whenever we talk about then if we're all going to be a part of this same body and, and a part of this same church that you have one faith. Because we live in a world that there's all kinds of doctrines and dogmas of varying types and shadows and alterations and variations. He says, though, but there's one, one faith. Most of the time he spoke of one. I just want to go through a list of scriptures because I just thought it was tremendous. Speaking of the faith, this one essence of doctrine. Then you're not following me here, okay? You're not following me. All right, Galatians 1.23, Paul preached the faith which was once, 
once he destroyed, the faith that he once destroyed. Of 1 Timothy 1, 2, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, you can depart from the faith. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, you can deny the faith. In 1 Timothy 16, you can err from the faith. In 2 Timothy 3, 8, you can be reprobate concerning the faith. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, you can stand fast in the faith. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, you can examine yourself whether you are in the faith. Ephesians 4, 13, it calls for all to come to the unity of the faith, the one faith. Colossians 1, 23 says for us to be grounded in the faith. Colossians 2, 7, to be established in the faith. Titus 1, 13, be sound in the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7, to keep the faith. Jude 1, 3, what did he say? Earnestly contend for the faith, which was once. And I just had to look up the Greek word for once. It said, which was once, one time, once for all, used of what is so used, of what is so done as to be of perpetual validity. One... Earnestly contend for the faith which was once. Once for all, there's perpetual validity, meaning that we don't get in the 4th and 5th century, you know, of Christianity and say, well, we've had a greater revelation. And these traditions of men begin to crop up from the early church in the 1st century because of fresh, uh uh-uh, once delivered. Once for all, perpetually valid. It was so settled. You know, you know, we got people trying to scratch around. You know, if you take that, if you take that eye, you put it at a 45 degree angle, I think that Greek word says it. Come on, folks. Get real. What are you trying to what are you trying to do is conform the faith to fit you rather than you conforming to fit the faith. It's valid once and for all. It didn't have to be said again. We got to earn something for that faith. Amen. You know, some people's, you know, Brother Lang was here. He talked about our root, our root to the holy, going back to the holy root, you know, tracing all the way down through. You know, a lot of people in, the, in different churches, they can only mile mark their, their, their start. Amen. Somewhere, you know, maybe it's the sixth century. Maybe it's the tenth century. Honey, we go all the way back, all the way back to the beginning of time. Amen. It's not that it just cropped up one day. It's been here. It's ancient. It's eternal. And so we have then that common plea. Well, let's just love one another. It doesn't matter what you believe, what I believe. It does matter because your doctrine will affect your behavior. Your faith will affect your behavior. That's what Paul's getting at here in Ephesians. He's talked for three chapters about doctrine, and now he says, this is what you need to practice. Practice according to what you've... uh, Practice according to your faith. Practice according to your doctrine. Then we have this one baptism. Now, uh, man, there's, be careful whenever you just read other people because they're going to say everything under the sun. There's, they say, well, this one baptism is talking about the spirit baptism, which the water baptism is just a symbol of. That's a bunch of baloney. Bunch of baloney. The one baptism that Scripture is speaking of is speaking of the baptism of spirit and water as a unit. Because Jesus even told Nicodemus in John 3, except you're born of the water and the spirit, you can't see the kingdom. That baptism of water and spirit as a unit is the one baptism. You hear me? Because let 
lacking one or the other is not going to get it done. Amen. Furthermore, I got to shut up. Stand with me. You're helping me. Come on. We really love to help you like that, Pastor. Said one God and Father. Again, we're not talking about two uh, separate persons or entities. If we go back to some of our early lessons, you remember the word and. If you remember, I think it was in the first lesson. The word and in the Greek is chi. It means also even or that is, which is the same as. One God, even the Father. One God, the same as the Father. One God, which is the same as the Father. Who is above all, through all, in, in you all. So let's just learn how to walk. And as we learn how to walk with God, we'll automatically be in step with our brother who is likewise walking with God. And in all of that, we'll meet the qualifiers of one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above, through, and in us all. Amen. Brother Mason, if you'll come tonight, if we can just bow our heads here this evening. Bow our heads here this evening. Hallelujah. Let's walk worthy. Let's walk worthy. Let's balance out that calling with our practice, with our walk. The Bible even says, Bishop, does it not, that we, we have a high calling. A high calling. And so our walk needs to be equivalent to that high calling that we have in the Lord and go deeper today if you're beyond just the mode of being the general Christian and you have been called in this church or you feel God calling in your life to function in some calling within the calling some calling within the church then walk accordingly walk, bring up the other beam of that scale walk accordingly hallelujah can we just all get thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.